With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ReopenAmericaResourceCenter.com. Are you struggling personally or professionally because of the coronavirus shutdown? Ready to grow your business and serve more customers and clients? Finally, there's a trustworthy website with resources, relief options, grants, support, and much more for small businesses, nonprofits, and individuals. One location with all the information. It's time to get back to work, life, and reopen America. Visit ReopenAmericaResourceCenter.com today. The ultimate resource platform to help you in every way. This is Everything Home, the transformational show about life, laughter, and the pursuit of happiness delivered by good people doing good business and good things. Let's take the word freedom. Wouldn't it be great to have more professional freedom, personal freedom, and how about financial freedom? Every week, Michelle Swinnick, the queen of quality content, interviews experts, entrepreneurs, professionals, and purpose-driven people to share their stories, their passions, and provide real-life, tangible takeaways. Get ready to be entertained, yet learn some incredible information. This is Everything Home, and this is Michelle Swinnick. U.S. near 60,000 new daily cases of coronavirus. New virus cases rising in 40 states as the U.S. death toll surpasses 135,000. Experts call for shutdowns as coronavirus infections and hospitalizations spike in some states. Arizona reports more than 100,000 known COVID cases. Arizona coronavirus record highs for ICU beds. Deaths at 1,809. Arizona is among the worst hotspots in the nation for COVID-19. The disease is widespread here. Officials caution people to stay home unless necessary to leave and to wear masks in public. Wow, those recent headlines about the coronavirus are scary. Nationwide shutdowns again, delays in reopening, mandatory masks, no singing in church. First wave, second wave. What happened? I'm in Arizona, and it sounds like this is one of the most dangerous states in the country. I made a couple phone calls. Talked to a few people, and their stories weren't matching what I was reading in the headlines and the articles. So I started to do a little research here in Arizona, which is very simple. Just go to one website, and I started comparing the numbers, the statistics, to the media headlines. Unfortunately, the headlines are designed to incite rather than inform. Each day is a new alarmist story about the threat of COVID-19 and the dangers of societal reopening. For example, in the headlines I mentioned, new virus cases rising in 40 states. The day before, they were actually lower. The U.S. death toll surpasses 135,000. And the most important statistic, the daily death for a seven-day moving average, is at the lowest it's ever been and continuing to go down at 581. Arizona reports more than 100,000 COVID cases. The day before, it actually had gone down by 184 from the day prior to that. 
and there was one death. Arizona coronavirus record highs for ICU beds. The increase, 25 people, which is 49% of the beds are for coronavirus patients. The numbers, the headlines continue to get worse. So I dug a little deeper and found out a whole bunch of information that everybody needs to know in order to put the numbers and the headlines and the current status in perspective. Last month, I interviewed Elaine Parker with the Job Creators Network Foundation to discuss their newly launched Latin the Fear campaign to tell Americans who are frightened of COVID-19 that they can safely re-engage society. So our conversation in that show confirmed what my research had also shown. The media is lying to you. It made me so angry that there was such misrepresentation to what was really going on that I have launched a daily podcast segment called Coronavirus, Five Minutes of Facts Not Fear to give you the real numbers, put them in context so you can get on with your day, get on with your life, get back to work and not be scared of what's going on because it's time to reopen America. It's time to flatten the fear and get back to normal. If you're looking for the truth and the facts that matter, subscribe to our podcast. All of the links are on our website, everythinghometalkshow.com, and go to the COVID facts page to get the information, the facts, the data, the episodes, the daily changes. You'll also be able to see the headline versus the facts. Lots of articles, some interviews, and some interesting things that most people don't even know. You can be diagnosed as having coronavirus without ever having a test. Yeah, kind of makes sense now why the numbers are so high. We go into it. It's all on the website also. Please check it out. It'll make you feel better. Five minutes every day. Coronavirus. Five minutes of facts, not fear. The facts that matter. Everythinghometalkshow.com. When you see the numbers, we're going get so incredibly enraged that you're going to demand it's time to reopen America and get back to normal. Today, we have an expert. We have a doctor to give you some more facts not fear. The media is creating the fear. Experts have agendas. The pandemic is completely politicized. There's no proof or studies that prove that masks are effective. So recommendations are based on what? And it does nothing to protect the person who's wearing it from getting it. And the American people have given up their freedom, business, lives, and so much more. So let's discuss what's really going on, who to believe, and give you the facts that matter. Today's topic, the misleading media, says COVID is surging. And to stay home, here's the truth with Dr. Jane Orion. AKA Dr. Aunt Jane has been practicing internal medicine since 1981 and currently provides private consultations at her office in Tucson, Arizona. She has served as the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, since 1989. She's also the president of Doctors for Disaster Preparedness and an author of several books, including Your Doctor is Not In, Healthy Skepticism About National Healthcare. More than 200 of her papers and opt-ed pieces have been published in the scientific and popular literature on a variety of subjects, including risk management, natural and technological hazards, and non-hazards, and medical economics and ethics. She is the editor of AAPS News, the Doctors for Disaster Preparedness Newsletter, the Civil Defense Perspectives, and the Managing Director of the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. She's also the partner of the Job Creators Network Foundation, which launched their Flatten the Fear campaign last month to tell Americans who are frightened of COVID-19 that they can safely re-engage society. How are you, Dr. Jane? 
Well, I guess everyone's getting a little on edge these days and just a little unable to plan for the future because things are so uncertain. We keep hearing one thing, the rules keep changing, the definitions keep changing, and it looks as though some people want us to be in our homes with masks on until who knows when, maybe until this magical vaccine that we'll have to take if we want to go outside comes to pass. I was thinking they that the coronavirus will magically disappear on November 4th. When you go to ask somebody, you you ask a politician, so what are we going to do about Corona? And they're going to say, what do you mean Corona? You know, like, we know, we still have an issue. We, we, you know, they look at the cases. You mean mean Corona like the beer? I I don't don't know what you mean. What what is this Corona that you speak of? (laughs) I feel like things will change after that point. You're in Arizona. I'm in Arizona. The headlines basically say the state is the most dangerous place on the planet. This wasn't the case a couple of weeks ago. What's your overall opinion of what's especially going on here and even in the country? I mean, you're, you've got colleagues that you're interacting with, publications, you're, you're interacting with even patients. I mean, you've got a great bird's eye view of everything. So what do you think? I think the same thing is going on here. It has gone on in every country of the world. We have an epidemic, we have a spike in deaths, and we have a decline back to a normal number of deaths. There's a certain expected death rate in the population, none of us being immortal. And we are back to that level nationwide. But you certainly wouldn't guess it to hear all of the consternation. I mean, there are still people dying of COVID purportedly, It's difficult to know exactly what that means because it's not really an autopsy diagnosis. There may have been a positive blood test or there may not have been a positive test. There may have just been a connection with somebody who who had it. There may have been a constellation of symptoms that suggest it. And there's been a lot of publicity, in some quarters at least, about dying with COVID as opposed to dying of COVID that if you're dying of a heart attack and you happen to have a positive test, you may be counted as a COVID death. And one reason for that is the hospital gets paid a lot more for a COVID death than for some other kind of death. I think 20% more if you have COVID on the death certificate. We really do not have statistics that we can rely on because of this financial incentive. I think the best, the most reliable thing we have to go by is the all-cause mortality, because you really can't tell whether a person's dead or not, and the all-cause mortality in the United States, like in many other countries of the world, is back to normal now. Did this type of reporting or misrepresentation of reporting ever happen before that you can remember, like when we had the SARS or the swine flu or one of those other? We did not have corruption similar to this. It's also worth mentioning that this epidemic, while it may be worse than your regular flu, as the percentage of the population that has died of it is much, much less than the percentage of the population that died of the Hong Kong flu in 1968, and even that was less than the percentage that died of the Asian flu in 1958. We did not have a nationwide lockdown Woodstock went on during the the Hong Kong flu 
Uh, we may have had some schools closed because of absenteeism. We did not have people going around in masks, losing their businesses, um, unable to go to a funeral, unable to go to church, unable to have friends over for dinner. Uh, we did not have this type of hysteria back at a time when we had a more deadly disease circulating. So your conversations with your colleagues when all of this first started, I mean, I'm sure you were questioning it. You were having conversations with each other. What was that all like? Well, I think that most doctors were very concerned at first because they did not exactly see what was going on. I mean, it could have been something far, far worse than than what happened, and we didn't know that much about the disease. Many doctors are finding it most unbelievable that we have an effective, safe treatment that works much better than a lot of other treatments do for other things. That is hydroxychloroquine, especially if you use it with zinc, especially if you use it early on. We've heard from doctors who are in the trenches treating patients that their patients are getting well. They may be sick, very sick, and then soon after they get the medicine, they start to get better. Or you may give it to them very early in the, in the, um, after the infection. They don't get very sick. They don't go to the hospital. They don't get put on a ventilator. They don't die. And yet, there's all kinds of effort on the part of state governments, state medical licensure boards, pharmacy licensure boards, the FDA, to try to keep doctors from prescribing this. And I just find it unbelievable. This, this drug has been around for 65 years. It's been used by hundreds of millions of people to prevent malaria, to treat lupus, to treat rheumatoid arthritis. It's safer than most of the drugs that are available over the counter. Yes, it's possible to poison yourself with it just as it is possible to overdose on aspirin or Benadryl. There are some people who shouldn't take it. There are some side effects, but they are really very, very rare. It probably is even helpful to people who have heart disease. And yet, even though it could save tens of thousands of lives, doctors are being prevented from prescribing it. Pharmacists are being prevented from dispensing it. Well, based on common sense, if you have a solution that's going to help somebody, there should not be a reason why you as not the doctor, but the politician who's making the decision like these governors or even the CDC, the FDA, to not allow more people to get help. So the, the other part of it is there has to be an agenda because it's not in the best, the patient. They don't have the relationship between them and the patient. The doctor knows the patient best. They should be able to make that decision on our own. That's what your job as a doctor is to do. So there's a problem there, and it should be obvious to people. There's many agendas that are attached to this. There's a statement that there's no proof that this works for COVID-19. Well, how could there be? Because COVID-19 is novel. It's only been around for a few months. It takes longer than that even to organize a trial in the ordinary course of events. But you have doctors who have treated hundreds or thousands of patients who are telling you, our patients get better. They don't go on ventilators. They don't die. They're having fever and chills and coughs, and they can't. They're too sick to eat or get out of bed. We give them the medicine, and they feel better, you know, in a half a day. So why shouldn't we try this on more people? Why should we wait for studies? 
one out of five drugs that's prescribed in the U.S. is prescribed for a condition that has not been subjected to randomized controlled trials. Once the drug is approved by the FDA as safe and effective for something, then doctors have the legal authority to prescribe it for something else. And they do this all the time. It's too expensive to do studies to get approval for every new indication. It doesn't pay. And doctors just use it according to the medical literature, according to their experience, according to what they hear for their consultants. But for some reason, with regard to this drug, it is one of the safest drugs that we have. It's listed by WHO as one of the essential drugs that we have to have. We have a whole new set of standards. And then we do studies, and the studies may be rushed into publications at warp speed, like in the Lancet, the New England Journal of Medicine. And it turns out that the data that's supposed to be for a huge number of patients worldwide is by Surgisphere, which will not produce the data, which can't produce the data, which has working for it a few people, one of whom is an adult model and one of whom is a science fiction fantasy writer, and they can't, you know, they, they can't produce their numbers, the journals have to retract the studies. And then another prestigious study published in JAMA in Brazil showed that there was a higher death rate in the people given chloroquine, which is not quite as safe as hydroxychloroquine, but it turns out that they were giving this late to terminally sick patients and overdosing on them, overdosing them on it, giving them a lethal overdose. It's surprising that all of them didn't die, but yeah, more of them did die than of who, who didn't get this overdose. And they're under investigation by Brazilian authorities for ethical violations. But JAMA has been adamant in not uh, retracting that study. But these studies are still being relied on, still being quoted, even though we have a lot of studies, including the one that just came out from the Henry Ford Health System, showing that the people who are in oxychloroquine had half the mortality. One half. They saved 50% of the patients who were in danger of death. And so why aren't we all starting to use this? Why are we spending millions and millions of dollars on remdesivir, which has not been shown to save anybody's life, and we're throwing out, wasting, or at least holding back millions of doses of hydroxychloroquine that were donated to our strategic national stockpile. You know, there are a few bureaucrats in the FDA and other places who have tremendous authority to affect medical practice and affect the policies of medical boards and pharmacy uh, boards throughout the country. And it, it sure looks as though they are trying to suppress this cheap, effective, long-established safe treatment in favor of this novel drug. It didn't work for Ebola. It's been on the shelf for 30 years. Its safety profile is sort of dubious, and it's not been shown to save any lives, just maybe perhaps in people who survive, it reduces their hospital stay by four days. Well, there may be some benefit to it, but people have a huge conflict of interest that they will profit if remdesivir is used. And in fact, the government has already bought three months' worth of production of the stuff that hasn't even, doesn't even exist just yet. And they're trying to keep doctors from giving patients this other drug that's been established for 65 years. It's almost like I feel like your guys' hands are so tied and you see really what's going on, but there almost there's nothing that, that, can, that you can do. 
Well, the doctors are very afraid of losing their license, which they can lose. Anybody can complain about them. They don't really have any protect due process protections. And if the medical board is saying, oh, you can't use this because it's not safe or it's not been uh, proven effective, then the doctor, his opinion doesn't count, or the opinion of tons of medical literature and of other physicians doesn't count. The bureaucrats are deciding what is the standard of care. And they, they have no business doing that because they're not dealing with the patients directly. They're not there seeing the results. And again, it's there's an agenda there. There's whether it's politically driven or it's monetarily driven, power driven, whatever, it's not in the best interest of the American people. And with that being said, people need to keep that in mind when they hear all of the news and the headlines, because the headlines, they cherry pick the facts, the media does. And they're designed to incite fear rather than inform. And you had a great article I think it was the first or the second, it was in the Arizona Daily Independent, talked about this. And you brought up great points. And there's just, it's almost like people are so brainwashed that they're not even relying on common sense. And the article does remind people, you need to use common sense and you also need to realize what's going on. So with that being said, now all of a sudden, just when we have things being reopened here in Arizona and other parts of the country, We've got now a second wave or a surge where now we're on lockdown and all these numbers, they're completely out of control, like hotspots and surges and, you know, the language used. And then when you look at the actual numbers, like even in Arizona, the day that they said that Arizona is one of the worst hotspots in the nation, record highs, and the deaths that day were four. So when you look at the numbers, you've got to be kidding me. We're doing this again. So the testing And some of the statistics and how the CDC changed some of the guidelines, what do they actually, what do they count as being positive? From what I understand now, you don't even have to get a test and they can deem you positive because, and then the antibodies are combined with the twice as much as they really are. People need to know this. Once you're counted as a case, you have a positive test. I guess you're a case forever, even though one and a half million Americans have recovered from COVID-19, they may still be counted as a case, they're over it. And the antibody testing proves that you got it and you got immune to it. The PCR test that they do with the swab in your nose shows that they have recovered a something that's a, a portion of the genetic material, fragment of the genetic material of that virus. We don't really know how much cross-reaction there is with other coronaviruses to cause the the common cold, we don't know whether it is a virus that's still able to function or whether it's just a piece of a virus that your body has already killed. We don't know whether it's a false positive. The president of Tanzania in Africa, he did a little experiment. He sent in a test on a pawpaw, which is a kind of fruit I'd never heard of before, Hmm. and a goat, a sheep, gave him a patient name, and the goat and the pawpaw were positive. And I've heard that there are physicians in the United States have sent a swab that was never used, and that unused swab was also positive. There may be as many as 80% false positives for this test. And these people may be subjected to quarantine, and all their contacts may be subjected to quarantine. Don't even know what it's testing. 
the inventor or the discoverer of PCR testing, the late Kerry Mullis, did it as, as a manufacturing technique, and it's, it's a very important and powerful manufacturing tool. But he said this is not meant to be a diagnostic test. It's certainly not a quantitative diagnostic test. You, you, know, you multiply the results by 37 times or 50 times or whatever, and your criteria for positives really depends on how many times you amplify the result. So one technician may get a positive, another one who's using a different threshold may get a negative, and what does it mean anyway? Does it mean you're going to get sick? I mean, even if it does, even if it is a fragment of, of a viable virus that's in your nose, you may never get sick, and your chance of transmitting it to other people is tiny. And to put a mask on people to prevent a zero probability of transmission is just really doesn't make any sense at all. So they can say you're positive even though you don't even really have the coronavirus. You might have virus, some sort of the virus that, or the antibodies that are being picked up because you had a cold at some point, blanketing everything as corona. So they could have the numbers inflated. And even when they were saying deaths back in the high point of all this, it was the doctor that was, a, I think it was a state congressman too, in, I think it was Minnesota. He had mentioned, I mean, you know, they got notification that basically call everything Corona, even if it isn't. And that's because there's more money in a Corona patient as opposed to a traditional patient. And I had heard that over and over. Basically, it came down to as long as there's not a visible gunshot to the head, call it as Corona. And now, as you mentioned, people are being tested positive or they are not even going to get it or uh, multiple people. I've heard this from many, many sources. People went to go get a test. It took too long. They left. They then got a notification in the mail that they tested positive and they never even took the test. How do we make people feel better about those numbers not being real? And then also make them feel comfortable going back into society, going back to work, getting back into the swing of things and with life when you constantly have this noise and this fear coming at you in every possible direction. Yeah, you know, especially if, if all the doctors are going along with it, that you can't, I couldn't go to, into my dentist office without wearing a mask while I walked through this empty waiting room sat in the dental chair, had to get my temperature taken at the door. And just every message that's coming at them, and you go to a restaurant and all of the staff are masked. The gym is closed even after it went to all this trouble and expense to meet the, the requirements, you know, having the equipment six feet apart and all hand-washing facilities and constant disinfection and no-touch faucets and on and on. I don't know how much money they had to spend to do that. And then, after they've been open for a week, they close them again anyway. What we had mm-hmm. like more deaths recently, and they're not—they're, you know, how is this business supposed to survive when it can't bring in any revenue, but its expenses continue? Where is it going to stop? They keep changing the rules based on, you know, a few deaths here and there that may or may not even be due to COVID. It all goes down to this Emergency Powers Act that APS was warning about some 20 years ago that give the states governments tremendous arbitrary powers once they declare a public health emergency to do just about anything they please as long as they claim that it's preventing people from getting infected. There's no threshold 
There's no criteria. There's no stopping point. There's no evidence required. I mean, gee, you have to have all this evidence to say this drug that's healed half the people in your hospital, you have to have more evidence to prescribe it. And you would need to have no evidence whatsoever that all this distancing and masking and so on and locking down the economy is saving any lives. So the power of that act and the actions that they're taking now don't make sense. Cautionary measures that were taken by a lot of these businesses, in addition to what's really going on, uh, but there's nothing that can be done. Just we're at the mercy of the governors and the mayors who, at, like in Scottsdale, it's mandatory to wear a mask. I'm not wearing a mask because all of the information that I've read, it's actually more harmful to wear them. And as far as a healthy person who does not have it, it does nothing to protect you. It doesn't protect you. It, from what I understand and clarify this, the mask does not do anything to protect you. It's designed so that you don't spread it. But if I remember correctly... Last earlier in June, the WHO came out and said, not like I'm a big fan of theirs, but they did say that if you're asymptomatic, it's extremely rare that you can pass it along to somebody. You have to have symptoms in order to pass it along. So if you use those two pieces of information, healthy people don't have symptoms, should not be wearing a mask. People that are sick should not be out anyway. I mean, if you had a cold or the flu or a sore throat, you're supposed to stay home. So you don't need to wear a mask unless you're sick and you have an emergency situation where you have to like go to the grocery store or you have to go to the doctor's office. Other than that, there's no reason to wear masks. Correct? Well, that's what I think. But, you know, WHO and the CDC keep changing their opinion about things and saying, well, maybe you could get it from an asymptomatic person. Let's just take a precaution. But what you say is true, that wearing a cloth mask does not protect you, or even a surgical mask does not protect you from other people. It's protecting other people from you. And a lot of these um, these virtuous, virtue-signaling people out there will criticize you and call you the equivalent of a serial killer if you're not wearing a mask to protect them from you. It's as though every human being is of great danger to every other unless they wear a mask. Although a mask is certainly by no means perfect. The guy who was servicing my truck had a sweat-drenched mask on outside in the 103-degree heat. And I, that couldn't have been doing anything except making him miserable and incubating whatever bacteria he had in his breath. But still, he has to do it, or else the business might be closed. It really is, I mean, the governors do not have to have any proof of efficacy or safety for what they do. They will not be sued. The doctor will be sued, licensed, lose his livelihood, same for a business, if someone complains about them. But the authorities who are passing these baseless rules are completely immune from repercussions. It doesn't matter how many people's livelihoods they ruin. It doesn't even matter how many people they kill by preventing their doctors from prescribing a medicine that might save their lives. Or for people who have, over the past three or four months, not gone to the doctor because they couldn't, they were either scared or they weren't able to go see them, they were afraid or they were restricted or even the elective surgeries where they didn't get their cancer treatment. So now they maybe had a chance to have whatever their issue was resolved, and now it's so much worse that they are going in 
now, now they're much more worse off and they're not going to make it. Or they pick up some other issue because a deferred health attention and treatments that they should have had. Nobody cares about that. And those numbers are much more, or they're at least heading in that direction. They're going to be much more than people that died from the coronavirus. And that's what that flatten the fear campaign really is about that you're involved with to let people know that that's a bigger problem than maybe getting this disease where you don't even really know what it is. None of the numbers are accurate. Well, and it's going to be kind of hard to figure out what those numbers are, but how many people uh, didn't go to the hospital because they were afraid of getting the coronavirus and their heart attack wasn't treated and now they have much more damage to their heart than they otherwise would have had. I've been told of one man who supposedly elective sinus surgery was canceled twice for a sinus infection, even though he had excruciating pain and he was blowing black fungus balls out his nose. And by the time he did get his surgery, it had eroded through the bones and he has a brain abscess and he may die of it because this supposedly elective surgery was postponed. Or a firefighter who broke up a dog fight and got compound fractures of two of his fingers they didn't want to fix his compound fractures. He had bones sticking through the skin, you know, and, and dog bite. And they were going to say, well, that's elective. You have to wait. Or you have a tendon, <laughs> tendon rub. You will have to wait, you know. If you fix it later, I mean, you may be too late. The surgery doesn't do any good. So how many things are going, how many patients are going to suffer because of this? And the hospital's sitting empty. The hospital may go bankrupt. Now you're saying, oh, the hospitals are more than 85% full. Well, the hospitals want to be more than 85% full because if they're not, they can't pay their staff. They can't pay their bills. They may go bankrupt. Yeah, and those people are maybe now out of work or at least during this epidemic or pandemic, whichever one they're calling it today, they could have been out of work too. Like just for for example, in Arizona, they're saying that the ICU unit are nearly full. Well, they're taking regular patients and the COVID patients and sticking them together. But as of the other day, 49% of the patients were actually COVID patients, not it's not the big number, which is scary. Which is, in ahead. all my years of being on hospital staff, I can never remember ICUs being having empty beds. They were almost always full. If you had a patient who needed an ICU, question was, well, who can who can safely be transferred out. It is quite routine to have your ICU beds full or almost full. They're the most lucrative beds. They have, they have the most, they generate the most revenue. So of course you want them always full. I mean, that makes sense. Well, I mean, obviously you're there to help, well, but the from a financial a little better, doesn't really need to be in the ICU, but maybe could benefit a little bit and you have the bed, why not leave him there? But if you have to transfer him, you can. You can monitor him somewhere else and take good care of him somewhere else. The statistic that people should pay attention to, because they have to drown out the surge in cases. They have to drown out the ICUs, the ventilators, because those are not something that's going to have at least some sort of gauge where we can, the common person can feel better about, is this getting better? Is this getting worse? So I've been told that it is the seven-day moving average for the daily death rate, which continues to go down. Do you want to comment on that? Just so people have something that they can feel a little bit more positive about, and hopefully they start to drown the rest of this out and go back to living their lives. I think that that's correct. I think that the most objective measure we have, the only one that's not tainted 
with financial considerations and so on is the all-cause death rate. And if the all-cause death rate is re- returning to, no- to normal, then, then the epidemic is over. And there may still be some people who have this, even though the diagnosis is very uncertain. Um, and what we really need to do to make people feel comfortable about it is to give them advice about how to beef up their immune systems by making sure they have enough vitamin D and making available to them a safe, effective treatment if it's taken early, like hydroxychloroquine and zinc, if they felt, well, if they started coming down with symptoms, they could go to the doctor and the doctor could give them a prescription and they could get it right away, then they would feel a whole lot better than thinking, well, if there might be a treatment, I can't get it till my test is positive, which may take seven days, and my doctor won't be willing to prescribe it or the pharmacist won't give it to me. So it's really, it's incurable, just not because there isn't a treatment, but because I'm not allowed to get it. So personal responsibility, we need to make ourselves healthier, which we should be doing anyway, but this is a great reminder, and thank you for mentioning in that article. Of all the people I've seen on television and the articles and, and interviews, I mean, there's been, besides you, maybe one other person that actually mentioned health and mentioned vitamin D and zinc and actually be an exercise, which is supposed to, you know, that help makes you healthier too and build your immune system. So thank you for yeah, mentioning these things, that. But if you talk about those on social media, they may shut you down and they'll say, well, this is harmful misinformation. Go to the WHO or the CDC website, which gives you no helpful advice except, you know, wash your hands. Well, how many times have you heard that? Yes, you should do that. Yes, you should do that. You should stay home if you're sick. You should not cough on people. All of these things we should re, you know, reinforce this good common sense, good hygiene practice that you should do every day because there are all kinds of other diseases out there that are contagious. Yeah, those are the list of uh, their suggestions are really kind of what we learned in kindergarten and first grade. So, you know, the, <laughs> thanks for the reminder, guys. But the health part is, is I think the best reminder is to get keep yourself healthy, keep your immune system up higher. That will help tremendously. And don't look at the data. The only thing you need to focus on is, like you said, the seven-day moving average. The rest of it, drown it out because it's not necessarily accurate and it's designed for fear. I know you got to go. Thank you for coming out and telling the truth and giving the facts that matter. Uh, Is there anything that you want to provide before you are on to solve more of the problems with the, the world of corona? Well, I think that people need to use good common sense and act responsibly. They need to take care of themselves. They need to see to their immune systems. And they need to realize that panic and despair are fatal in and of themselves. Social isolation, getting, you know, not doing anything that gives you joy in life, not connecting with people is ultimately fatal. And we must not allow these these unwarranted fears about a virus that will come and go like every other virus to keep us from from living. Thanks for doing everything you can to get the truth out there. Now that's the advice that we should be hearing from all the doctors across the country, including the CDC, the FDA, politicians, our governors, our mayors, and anybody else in the mix. Thank you again, Dr. Jane, for telling the truth, helping to flatten the fear, and giving us the facts that matter. You've been listening to Everything Home with Michelle Swinnick. Life. 
laughter, and the pursuit of happiness. To meet, learn from, and hire the experts and the guests, professionals, and members of the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and Marketplace, visit everythinghometalkshow.com slash episodes. And to listen, subscribe, rate, review, like, follow, comment, and share, go to www.everythinghometalkshow.com and find us on all the major listening platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you were entertained, and we hope that you picked up some real-life, tangible takeaways from some good people doing good business and good things. Till next time, this is Everything Home, signing off. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.